everybody thanks for listening to the james from montana podcast a new podcast in which i interview experts in the tech industry with the goal of slowly uploading the collective consciousness of tech into the cloud for more information on today's guest topic or how to be a guest yourself visit jamesfrommontana.com forward slash podcast i have with me today jenny graff founding executive director of early stage montana with experience as a founder of a recruiting firm and work in economic development, bundled with BA and MBA degrees from University of Montana, Jenny is a moving force in encouraging business growth and attracting technology companies to Montana. She is also the first fellow Montanan and hiker to join me on this podcast, so I'm more than excited to welcome her. Uh, how are you, Jenny? I'm doing well. It is a lovely day, as you know, in Montana. Absolutely. <laughs> So I've been following some of your work with Early Stage Montana. I wanted to dive in. I know a little bit about it, but for the listeners, could you give us a rundown of what Early Stage Montana does? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a nonprofit 501c3 organization, and our mission is to grow the Montana tech ecosystem. And we do that largely by providing training, mentorships, and connections to early stage founders across the state of Montana. I love it. So you are a founding executive director. So in a way, you're like a meta startup founder for startup founders, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, yeah, this, we are a nascent organization. And so I am going through some of the, the pains that startups are, I encounter every single day. You know, there's a there's a little bit of product market fit I'm trying to figure out, you know, we do a lot of programming. So there's also, you know, figuring out like how to articulate, communicate my product or build something that's valuable to uh, the clientele that I serve, which is startups. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, in some ways it is very meta. So uh, how did you get started with early stage Montana? Like, why did you start it? Uh, how did it come about? Well, I can't take any of the credit. Um, the The idea kind of came about when um, one of the angel investor syndicate groups in the state kind of identified that, you know, they're called the Frontier Angels. They, you know, have a mandate to invest in Montana-based companies and really want to grow and support Montana-based companies. And they were just finding that they're just, you know, in order to speak the language of an investor, in order to appeal to angel investors, there's just a little bit of a knowledge gap. And the startups that they were encountering regularly just weren't quite there, but they had great ideas. And so it was like, you know, all we really need to do is, uh, you know, find these startups, give them some coaching, connect them to people that have done it. And, you know, we'll be off to the races. It'll just kind of up level the entire ecosystem. And so, you know, hence early stage Montana was born um, largely through the, uh, the work and the philanthropy of that organization. Um, and then, you know, as things got started, we 
you know, got a little bit more traction. We were able to partner with MSU. We started doing some, um, you know, we, we received a formal EDA grant to um, kind of uh, specifically work with some of the tech transfer companies that were um, coming from MSU, give them some coaching. And, you know, now fast forward five years, um, I've been working as the founding executive director of Early Stage Montana. I'm the only full-time paid staff here, uh, but I do have a pretty incredible board that um, allows us to punch above our weight, for lack of a better term, um, and uh, grow and support uh, startups across the state. I love it. You So you speak a little bit to that gap between, I guess, like launching a startup, uh, getting traction as a startup, um, getting funding, etc. I think I've experienced the same gap. I've I've been a startup founder. I've I've sold a company. Um, I'm actually starting another startup uh, recently. So it does bring to mind you have all this experience now, five years in, right? <laughs> what companies have you seen come through and uh, through early stage Montana? So we have a um, alumni group of about 40 companies that have gone through our program and they are, you know, in everything from, you know, raising a series A or even going through an exit or kind of considering an exit uh, to they, you know, went through our program and wound down their operations. Um, and that's pretty typical. You know, it's like there's a reason why, uh, you know, venture capital and angel investors are looking for 10x returns is that they see, you know, uh, pretty high failure rates. Um, I think nationally or actually even internationally, um, almost all accelerators see about a 30% wind down rate of startups after they go through our programs uh, or through an accelerator program. And um, I'm sure our uh, our numbers are no different, but not to dwell on the ones that have wound, <laughs> wound their operations down. I should probably be talking about some of the success stories. Um, and we're, you know, obviously we're proud of them all. So I want to make that clear, you know, just because like, you know, winding down a company, that's a really tough decision. But, um, you know, we feel like that frees you up to... Uh, go on to bigger, better, and bolder things that are going to work. So, you know, that education that you get in going through the process of, uh, you know, the startup journey um, is valuable no matter what. So anyway, with all that being said, some of the companies that you may recognize or who are, you know, getting um, some traction right now were in our earliest cohorts, which makes sense. You know, it just takes a little while to uh, to build a name for yourselves. But right, um, right. One of our early, early winners of the uh, showcase was uh, Vision Aerial. They are a drone manufacturing company here in Bozeman, Montana. Um, last I heard, they had like 30 job offers in, I want to say like a month. Don't quote me on these numbers, but they were scaling up operations really significantly. Um, and they were, uh, you know, they built out a warehouse. Um, I want to say they have about 80 employees now, maybe 120, uh, just because things are changing very quickly. Uh, but at the end of the day, they went through and um, their founder, I think it was just their founder was the only full-time employee. I think they have like one other part-time employee. And so that's just in five years. That's like amazing. Their, 
Yeah. Yeah. We're proud of them, you know. Um, Another company that went through our program early on and actually shared, I think, the the initial first place prize was um, Superior Traffic Services. Uh, They are a um, automated traffic control system. They're based in Missoula. Um, they have pretty incredible satellite technology that automates um, construction sites. So traffic signals in construction sites. So generally, you know, anywhere you go in Montana, if you're uh, waiting at a stoplight, it is probably their technology that is uh, keeping that site safe. And they went through our program um, again five years ago now, um, and they were only operating in Montana. They knew that they had a good technology and they had like 80% of the market share here, uh, but they had not yet broken beyond Montana's borders. They went through our program. They are now operating, I believe, in all 50 states as well as Mexico in Canada. They um, have acquired more companies. I think their workforce is three times the size as what it was. And so they're, you know, another shining light of, um, you know, just kind of what can happen when, you know, you uh, you get to find some, you know, strategic advisors who can point you in the right direction, open some doors for you. And, and what happens when you, um, you know, just get the opportunity to really think, you know, take a step back and really think strategically and intentionally about where you want to go with the business. Yeah, I love that you fill in the gap, sort of the, these companies that want to experience growth, have the ability to experience growth and just can't get there without that that gap being filled. So, and yeah. uh, speaking to the failure quote, and I think yeah, I think it's very important once in your life, or maybe a bajillion times in your life, to go through failure. <laughs> At least Absolutely. one time, winding down a startup uh, to really understand uh, things to avoid, how to yeah. navigate startups, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think we we learn from from pain and from experience, right? And uh, yeah. those that, you know, as as much as they can be, you know, pretty uh pretty painful <laughs> exercises, um you you never make that same mistake twice. So, I want to dial into Montana just a little bit. My perspective on Montana round about like 10 years ago technology i would say we were at the bottom of the list and my experience now is that we're slowly creeping up the list we have a roster of really impressive companies that are based out of montana Uh, there's lots of remote workers in montana now as well i think times have changed i really want to understand why you think that is though yeah yeah um Gosh, I mean, you know, just anecdotally, I, I could give you all kinds of like facts and figures coming from, you know, uh, <laughs> the uh, Department of Labor and Industry and everything else. But what I'll tell you, um, just by way of storytelling, is that, yeah, I mean, I, I, we've all seen it, you know, we, we kind of grew up through this transition. And um, I always talk about like, when I graduated from college, like, you know, four year degree, and if you wanted to stay in Montana, you know, 
UM alum here. If you wanted to stay in Montana, like with a liberal arts degree, your options were, you know, in highest income earning potential jobs were like bartending and trail crew. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, like, that's what everybody went into. And, you know, you drive down like the front street in Missoula at five o'clock on a Friday and you know, there it's bustling with young, recent college graduates that are working, you know, for a number of the, uh, you know, different uh, success stories that you alluded to. And so, you know, things have absolutely changed here. Um, and I think at this point in time, we we have the momentum, we have the critical mass to demonstrate that this isn't just, you know, some sort of like one-off. It wasn't, you know, just submittable that is, you know, <laughs> was fortunate enough to go through Y Combinator and raise some French capital. It wasn't a fluke, you know, we're now 17th, I want to say, or maybe middle of the pack in the, uh, in the country in terms of venture capital funding for startups. And, you know, to, uh, to your <laughs> quote earlier, we used to be um, at 51st in the nation after Puerto Rico in terms of the amount of venture capital that uh, flowed through this state. So we are seeing a turning of the tides and, um, you know, I uh, am, am thrilled to, uh, to see it happening and to see that, um, you know, Montana-based founders are are embracing this idea of um, creating a growth company from here. You know, um, we've always we've always been entrepreneurial. We've always had a uh, uh, an attitude of self reliance here in the state, and um, you know, only kind of recently is there getting to be this kind of common mentality around like building a company, kind of. Um, intentionally around like staying and growing in Montana and creating tech jobs here. See, I would have said that it was the trails, the <laughs> <laughs> superior trails. Adam, Adam, I thought you were going to say the trails are busier and that's like all the evidence we need that like there's a, a growing tech economy here. It's true too. <laughs> as far as a uh, specific industry in Montana, I, I think at some point I would have said coffee, maybe hospitality, real estate as of late were the hottest categories, I think, at least in Montana. I don't think that necessarily holds true today. What, speaking to innovation by startups, what specific industries do you think are most ripe right now? I just did like a little inventory um, of the industries that had, you know, that were present and had gone through our accelerator program in the last five years, just to see if there was really anything, because I have a lot of, you know, data around like kind of the startups that I talk to annually. And, you know, we see a lot of SaaS companies. We see a lot of B2B here. Um, we see a lot of like kind of business services. So like insure tech, you know, fintech is growing in um, particularly in the Bozeman area. But then we're also seeing um, a lot of activity around like kind of natural resource management, if you will. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's some call that climate tech, some call that ag tech. Like, I guess in some ways I just kind of 
aggregate them together and just call it like, you know, we're, we're solving problems in uh, kind of natural resource management. So that's land use and water management, which, you know, all of these things, like when you uh, like run the numbers and you look at like the startups that I'm talking to, it's like, of course, these are coming out of Montana. Like that makes so much sense looking at the industry that was here before and looking at like, you know, where our competencies are. But um, we just had kind of a, a wide variety. There was such a wide variety of tech that it was uh, it wasn't super obvious kind of like what the leading industries were. And uh, now I think that our ecosystem is evolving um, and I think we are seeing kind of some some areas of specialization, if you will. Yeah, for sure. I find it interesting that you speak out to climate tech because I've, I've also seen that growing and it's it's wild to see it emerge in Montana as well. You know, we're a place fraught with, at least in the dry times, not not this year specifically, but wildfires and and natural resource management issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really interesting that startups could be innovating in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it speaks to the, you know, things that always get me out of bed in the morning, which is like, I, I believe um, that humans can innovate ourselves out of problems. And so I uh, am excited for the, you know, potential of uh, you know, different kind of solutions that we're seeing coming out of the state. I want to zoom out from Montana just a little bit and talk a little bit about the tech industry as a whole. I would call it in a weird state right now. I think there's a few things happening, at least from a global perspective, in that AI is changing product roadmaps for a lot of people. Large companies, medium-sized companies are laying off a lot of people. What do you think your take is on on the tech industry right now? Hmm. I mean, in some ways, I don't even consider tech to be an industry anymore. I guess I'd start there because it's like at the end of the day, like tech is so ubiquitous in every industry that like it's sometimes when I talk about like fintech and insure tech, I'm like, let's just call it like you know, finance startups, <laughs> yeah. like, like, every, like you can't really get a business off the ground and have it be scalable without some sort of underlying broad technology. So um, I guess in my sense, like to talk about tech as an industry right now is somewhat challenging sometimes because I'm like, oh, it's such an unwieldy beast and it's everywhere. I, I, I do have like a very Montana centric lens. So I will say what I see in Montana and some of the big tech layoffs that even are affecting, you know, it's affecting Montana based companies and it's also affecting Montana based employees that maybe moved here during the pandemic and who, um, you know, are, are trying to find different ways in which to stay in Montana. Um, so I think that what is happening with some of these layoffs and then the other, you know, kind of macro forces brought on by the pandemic is that we're seeing a big appetite to, you know, give back to growing local ecosystems and recognizing that like the coasts no longer need to be these like 
you know, major sources of innovation and capital, and that we can bring some of those jobs and ideas, funds, et cetera, that are always power a, um, a, a technology ecosystem. We can bring those things further inland um, into rural areas. And, you know, obviously that's where, um, that's where I get really excited. From a Montana standpoint, looking through the Montana lens, do you think there could be somewhat of a second dot-com bust or a bust in what we would consider tech right now? Yes, I do. But I, you know, I, I think like with the, earlier this year, you know, four months ago, it, it felt as though we were seeing that, you know, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and, um, you know, all of those, all the tech layoffs, it started to feel really uncertain. Um, and like, you know, things were, were getting a little dicey in there. Um, now, you know, things have kind of backed off and we're seeing really strong job reports. And so it's not looking as though, you know, things are maybe quite as tenuous as we thought they could be. Um, so where, you know, again, going back to the fact that tech is kind of ubiquitous, I think what we did see with some of those layoffs too was that you know those jobs are you know people are moving back into the workforce um, you know obviously faster if the job reports are so strong. So I guess um, my prediction, and I, I generally don't want to make them, um, my <laughs> very uninformed prediction is that um, you know a bust is probably not in the next six months and it's not going to come from tech, I guess is where, where I'm placing my bets. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Speaking of that a little bit. So I, I've heard from a lot of people, not tech in general, but tech at larger companies, like we're talking 5,000 plus is a dangerous place for, uh, engineers to be. Um, keep in mind, the podcast is sort of like centered around uh, the tech industry, but also engineering, right? What's your thought on that? Do you agree? Like, do you think a startup is a place to be right now? Mm, uh, rather than like a more um, established, <laughs> like mature corporate Yeah, mega environment? <laughs> mm. That just is such a different question because it's like, there that's very individual for me it's like what's your propensity to risk how fast do you like to move like in my mind like those are there's a number of different things that factor into where you should be like if you are very entrepreneurial and you you know you're an engineer I don't think you're going to have a great time at a mega corporation. Um, and, you know, you probably would be more valued as a technical co-founder and of a fast moving, super nimble startup. And you're getting to make really interesting stuff every day. So I guess to me, um, but if economic security is what you're looking for. Um, so if you're looking to de-risk your career path, I guess I would point you to uh, big tech. Um, 
Right. You're an engineer. You're an engineer listening to this podcast right now. You are looking for your next gig. You're slightly entrepreneurial. You're, you know, not risk averse. Where would you send them? Would you say work for a startup, work, uh, start your own or join like a medium, larger size business? I mean, I guess what I would recommend, and this is self-serving because I'm trying to grow the ecosystem, is give back some of your time, you know? It's like you, and and basically hedge, (laughs) hedge your bets. Like go to work for somewhere safe and, you know, recognize that it is going to be kind of boring, but then give back to the local ecosystem because that's where you know, we see there's a a pretty significant shortage of, you know, engineering talent. And, you know, if somebody would be willing to, to donate, you know, some time to work on special projects that are local um, to help out these startups so that they can at least like, you know, kind of have a better understanding of how to wireframe out their idea, for example, Um, you know, maybe we could get places we could get a little bit further faster. And so you could, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds, right? Where you're like bringing home a steady paycheck, but yet you are able to get some exposure to what it may look like in working for a startup, moving a little bit faster and having a little bit more of a, an impact on a product launch. Yeah. I love that. So moonlight in local startup scene, right? That's my, (laughs) that's my suggestion. It's funny you bring that up. I mean, I've talked to some friends of mine recently um, and they're like, I'm just bored at my job. And I'm like, well, do you have a startup idea? You know? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to come help me with mine? Do you want to moonlight? <laughs> as long as you check your contract, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. More like co-founder matching events, you know? Because I mean, I think so often... I don't know. It'd be fun to do like a speed dating, you know, <laughs> if, oh, I love that. where yeah. it's like, you know, the strategic operators are recruiting for technical co-founders. Um, yeah. I mean, I just talked to a guy the other day that was like, you know, I realized that without having a technical co-founder that I was, you know, that my startup wasn't going to go anywhere and I couldn't find anybody. And like, I hear that relatively frequently. I imagine something like that already exists, right? Like some sort of online uh, yeah. startup speed dating thing. Yeah, there definitely are some um, options for that. I think Angels Lit or yeah, Angelist has uh, co-founder matching. I think um, TechStars may too. Um, for me, I guess if you're working remotely, I, I I'm a raging extrovert, and so I um, need some in-person interaction. And so, and I need to feel like I'm part of a team and, you know, this like one dimensional screen stuff doesn't do it for me. So, you know, I think it would be a little bit more rewarding to find somebody locally. So, you know, therefore, I guess I, I recommend that you uh, seek out, um, you know, an organization like mine um, in your own community and maybe try to find locals. Uh, because like I said, we're, you know, there's a lot of innovation moving off the coast right now. And, you know, we need your engineering talent. If you want to give back and you're bored at your job, um, we could certainly pair you up with uh, some folks in your your backyard that could use the help. And I mean, if you're looking for like a search term of, you know, what I, what I do, um, there's like a whole, like, 
<laughs> a whole world out there of like ecosystem building organizations uh, that are called like entrepreneurial support organizations. Um, so there's uh, there's probably one in your community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. You did mention before the podcast that there were ways people could get involved with early stage Montana. I think you said in your words, like if they had something to offer startups, yeah. uh, A, what do you mean by that? And <laughs> B, how do people get in touch? How do people offer support? And is it limited only to Montana? I think the, the, best way right now to get involved is to um, come to Bozeman in November. We're putting on a conference on November 2nd and 3rd that is honestly built to be a like ecosystem catalyst for Montanans and building the, uh, you know, technology companies. And so we're trying to bring together founders, tech leaders, um, service providers, enthusiasts um, to, you know, be inspired, learn more about what's happening here locally, uh, but then, you know, really commit to different ways in which, you know, um, all attendees can and want to get involved and give back to uh, grow the local startup community. And that can be, you know, there's a million different ways to give back, you know, it can be, you know, volunteering to be a technical co-founder for a startup that could use you. It could be, um, you know, if you're an investor or curious about, in, you know, getting involved in angel investing, kind of making a pledge to invest in local companies. It could be, um, you know, if you have some specialty uh, knowledge of an industry and you're willing to sit down with startups and give them, you know, an hour of your time to talk through, you know, kind of what buying behavior looks like in that industry, you know, that's super helpful. There's a, there's a myriad of different ways that you can get involved and that startups could use your help. And, you know, we're, we're really trying to build this event where they're, Afterwards, there is a lot of spinoff activity that is kind of community led because obviously, like I, you know, one organization cannot be kind of the the linchpin. One organization with one person as an employee cannot be the, <laughs> uh, the, the you know sole focus. But we are trying to create kind of spinoff activities so that you know the communities with shared interests and and ways in which that they found at the conference that they can work together, they can continue to meet. And we want to enable all of those kind of continuing activities. So, you know, maybe somebody raises their hand and says like, you know, Billings is really short on, you know, hackathon events and I'm willing to put on one a month. To answer your question about people outside of Montana getting involved, absolutely. <laughs> you can certainly get involved. Um, I've got some hotel rooms on hold if you care to travel to Bozeman uh, in November. You know, I'm going to be building some sort of digital community. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but, you know, certainly we have supporters and people that are passionate about helping Montana-based technology startups from all over the world. Um, 
And so I am working on kind of building out that network and trying to find ways in which we can uh, connect people that do want to give back. You know, the only the only thing that is required is that you're, uh, you know, you're willing and able to pitch in and that you're passionate about supporting local tech startups. There you go. You heard it. So how how can people um, get in touch with you? Uh, so we have a website. You're welcome to uh, sign up for our mailing list. I don't have a newsletter even. I only send things out when there's like <laughs> pressing relevant information, generally an event that we're putting on. Um, so, you know, sign up for our, our listserv on our website. The other way that I communicate is uh, through LinkedIn. That's kind of our other um, community that we keep pretty active. Um, those are the two ways to get involved. And then if you, uh, if you prefer to uh, <laughs> communicate in person, like I said, November 2nd and 3rd in Bozeman, Montana at the Kenton Armory. Awesome. <laughs> I want to switch gears over to uh, building startups. So uh, I know a lot of people listening probably have had an idea at some point. I'll sort of like be that person for you on this podcast right now. And you can ask Jenny all these questions that you had <laughs> about building a startup. Um, so I'm going to take a guess at what they're asking. Okay. <laughs> um, so I have an idea. I'm now a founder at an early stage startup. What advice are you giving me? That's it. That's all you're giving me is I'm a founder and I'm <laughs> at <laughs> an early stage company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but I would say have a ton of conversations um, and stay curious and don't be too, don't dive into the solution too quickly. Uh, be crystal clear on the problem that you're solving for and make sure that you understand that that really truly is a problem that, you know, the pain point is such, it is so painful that there is a large population of people that are willing to spend money to alleviate that pain. And yeah, so ask, you know, a lot of questions at the beginning and find all the support and, you know, just, uh, just stay, stay dedicated, stay, uh, stay scrupulous in, um, just kind of the, the work that you're doing. And, um, See if there's something there. Follow follow the thread and see where it'll take you. And don't be afraid to uh, to dream big. And you know, maybe even like begin with the end in mind. Sometimes you know, once you've gotten beyond um, the fact that you've got a solution to a pretty significant problem, once you have that and you know you're onto something, the sky's the limit. You know, don't limit yourself because at the end of the day, that is one thing that we see, particularly in Montana, is we uh, we actually have a, a very humble founder population here. And, yeah. you know, they they have a tendency to, to go after things that they think are attainable. Um, and sometimes that's really limiting. You know, sometimes that means it's, uh, that you're going to get, uh, you're going to get beat by the competition because you're not, you're not dreaming big enough. Um, so those are, those are my two areas of advice. I love it. I think it's sound advice. Let's talk a little bit about funding and 
and specifically funding at an early stage. So bootstrapping or venture capital, what are some (laughs) of the downsides, upsides of both? I think that people need to think of venture capital as a tool and as a means to an end. And it's just a different business model. But at the end of the day, um, you know, and outside funding could just kind of help you move a little bit further, a little bit faster when your model requires that you do move really fast. Um, and sometimes that is how you compete in, in technology startups is like you move faster, fast movers. Um, there's a reason why that's a ubiquitous term. So that's the upside of venture capital. Obviously, the the downsides are, you know, uh, there's no more, you, uh, it's a different game you're playing in once you take on adventure, adventure capital. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you, you're a formal entity now. And that there's, uh, um, there's some consequences that come with that. Um, and, you know, you just need to make sure that you're, you know, when you do seek out venture capital, that it's for the right reasons for your business and that you found vested partners who are going to be additive to your organization. And it's not just about seeking money. So at the end of the day, what we always advise startups is like, you may or may not need outside funding, but make sure that you're aware of how to get it because you don't want to be asking for money when you're about to run out. So make sure that you're planning ahead, (laughs) make sure that you're, you know, that you understand your options, that you understand how to use um, VC VC or angel funding as a tool. Um, and that, yeah, you know, you're, you're a local friendly venture capitalist <laughs> or angel <laughs> They're not as scary as, uh, as sometimes they are made out to be, nor as evil as sometimes they are made out to be. But, you know, you want to, you want to be educated on all of it. It's money with strings attached at the end of the day. And then bootstrapping, you know, there's a lot to be said for bootstrapping. I think that bootstrap as long as you possibly can. And there's there's nothing wrong with having 100% equity in your own company. That sounds pretty fantastic. And if you're onto something that will support it, if that's your business plan and, you know, your model aligns with it, uh, do that. <laughs> Keep making money. <laughs> it's the name of the game. Yeah. Uh, speaking to to venture capital and trading equity for capital um, at an early stage, like I don't know how much you could talk specifically to this, but what are some of the deals that you've seen, or what in your mind is like a fair formula for a founder to go by when considering venture capital? I mean, in terms of like exchanging equity for, you know, funding, you know, just make sure that you have gotten as far as you can without outside money, because that's going to increase the valuation of your company and you won't have to give as much away. So, you know, um, do whatever you can to uh, to generate value and to, 
you know, we always talk about it as like de-risking the company, like make sure that you have, you know, it might not be revenue, but make sure that you have a lot of indicators to support that you have a super viable company and that it's run incredibly well and efficiently. And that, you know, you can tell the story of profitability, potential profitability, then hopefully you, you come to a point, a negotiation point where you, you know, have a, a pretty strong story. Does that speak a little bit to what you think investors are looking for? Obviously, they're looking for revenue, right? They're looking for return on investment. Are there other pieces that they're looking for? Maybe it's it's too uh, broad to ask that, but what are some things that you've seen uh, investors looking for outside of just ROI? I mean, there's a, a growing investor population, you know, particularly like in the very early stages of so angel investors, you know, that are looking for, you know, all of the ESG metrics, you know, they are, then they, they invest specifically around those, uh, those numbers. So they are looking to, you know, invest in things that they see as, you know, providing a societal benefit. Um, so we're seeing more and more of that, you know, particularly at the individual level. Once you get to, uh, you know, uh, you know, an angel syndicate group, you know, that factor isn't as strong, but, you know, we're see- certainly seeing more and more of that. I think that team strength is often underestimated by founders but and maybe almost overestimated by investors because at the end of the day like they are evaluating um, an investment on team and honestly likability and trust is uh, it, it factors in significantly more than any of us like to believe we all like to think that we're you know very data-driven humans that you know are only making the most savvy business decisions but at the end of the day um, there's a human component involved in any business decision that shoehorns into uh, a question I wanted to ask you about teams say your founder or maybe even your your just a co-founder with somebody else, what advice can you give to those founders, co-founders when you're building a team at an early stage startup? You know, this is not original Jenny's thoughts, but it's certainly something that I've heard over and over again. And something that stuck with me is evaluate your co-founder, like, and think about that person and make that decision as cautiously as you select a life partner because you are going to be married to that person in one form or fashion for a really long time. And, you know, your your ability to make decisions together and kind of offset one another's strengths and weaknesses are pretty vital to the um the ongoing operations of the business, you know, um, the whole Drucker quote of culture eats strategy for breakfast. So, you know, that, that rings really true. Um, I think and we see that a lot in very early decisions of businesses. I guess that's how I would think about it. Also be, you know, very real about your own skills and abilities and, you know, uh, try to, identify someone who complements your own skill sets and and be pretty clear about, you know, who's going to do what at the early stages of the business. You know, when you, 
when you listen to a pitch and it's not super clear, like who the strategic operator is and who the technical person is and the lines of roles and responsibility are not clearly delineated, that is a, that comes across pretty apparently very early and, and it's a, you know, it's certainly a risk uh, factor. So it, um, all of those things, I guess, are <laughs> <something> <laughs> So this is like somewhat unrelated, but a question that's been burning on my mind ever since you talked a little bit about like some of the companies that went through your pipeline, they got a lot bigger. You've seen this happen, that okay. founders make terrible CEOs. Hmm. I want to know, does that resonate with you? I honestly, I don't get involved, first of all, in the day-to-day operations of the business, like beyond, you know, kind of getting them to a point where they can scale and be successful. Clearly, the companies that I talk about as success stories, I can't imagine that that is actually the, you know, that the founders are terrible CEOs, because I think that, you know, the strongest data point we have is the, you know, ongoing success of the company. So far, those guys are doing great. So I, I don't have that experience. I haven't seen that. Certainly, that is a uh, pretty common thought. And, you know, you hear the stories all day long. And there are just, you know, there's, it's a skill set, right? Like there is a different person that starts a company and grows it to 100 employees than the person that takes a company at 100 employees and grows it to 500 employees or a thousand or whatever. Sure. And to be able to bridge those gaps takes a very special person. It's not to say that it's impossible, but it is, you know, those are really challenging changes to go through as a founder and as an, you know, an ongoing CEO. Got it. Yeah. I think we're almost out of time. So I do have one last question to wrap up. I'm a a foodie at heart. (laughs) I don't know if you are, but I hope you are because the question I'm about to ask you requires (laughs) a little bit of food knowledge. Oh, Um, Oh, there's a right answer to this? (laughs) Okay. No, there's no right answer. Well, maybe. If Montana had a single dish it was known for, what Mm. would it be? Ribeye. Nice. Yes. I, correct answer. 100 points. Okay. Whew. There's a lot of pressure there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, anything that we haven't touched on? Um, anything that you want to mention? Shout out? No, you gave me a chance to talk about, uh, you know, to invite people to our event in November. And um, other than that, I would just say keep on building and stay curious. <laughs> Keep on building and stay curious. And is it early stage Montana? I'll have the web address in the description of the podcast. Thank you again for joining me, Jenny. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the James from Montana podcast. If you want to support this production or uh, see audio transcripts for this entire episode, visit jamesfrommontana.com and consider signing up as a member. When you sign up, you get free emails when new articles or episodes like this one drop.